Good morning. Our gospel reading this morning is John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables, making a whip of cords. He drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The word of the Lord. The Old Testament reading today are familiar words, what we often call the Ten Commandments. They're found in two places in the Old Testament, in both Exodus and Deuteronomy. There's a slight, some slight changes or differences in them. Exodus, the one we're going to read this morning, is probably the oldest version. So listen, and I think there's at least one thing that's different than you, what you expect to hear. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses His name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. 
You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, once again, we gather again for it is Your Word that we need most to hear in our lives in this world. And so we pray that by Your grace, through these human words, Your Holy Word might be heard. Heard and obeyed. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen. When it comes to the Ten Commandments, it seems that there is a lot that we can agree on. A poll a few years back found that nearly 80% of Americans believe that the Ten Commandments should be posted in public places. The only problem that the pollster did not specify was a question raised by a Lutheran colleague at a minister's lunch a few years ago, which Ten Commandments are we talking about? Did you know that Jews count the Ten Commandments differently from Presbyterians and Baptists? And that Lutherans and Catholics count it still another third different way? But here's the bigger problem when it comes to the Ten Commandments. While someone is counted, and the Ten Commandments are indeed posted in something like a thousand public places, pollsters have also found that when you ask people how many of the Ten Commandments they can name, only 10% can name as many as four. For Christians and Jews, far more important about what, then whether the Ten Commandments are written on signs or etched in stone is whether they are written or etched in our hearts. Indeed, there's a lot that we get wrong when it comes to the Ten Commandments. So perhaps it makes sense to go back to the passage we just read where we do find them in Exodus 20. And if you're paying attention when you read Exodus 20, the first thing you notice right there in verse 1 is that what follows are not even commandments. As the New Revised Standard Version and most other modern translations recognize, the Hebrew word in verse 1 is not commandments, but words. What we then have are the ten Words of God is distinction that makes a big difference, as we soon shall see. More importantly, almost every public posting or printing of the Ten Commandments or Ten Words, and indeed the reason why I didn't find any graphic to put on the cover with the Ten Commandments, is that they almost always omit verse 2, which is in effect God's introduction to these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Those words are recognized by Jews as the first word or first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me is actually the second word for Jews. As the Old Testament scholar Terence Fredheim has observed, this opening word of God accomplishes several things. 
It keeps the commandments or words personally oriented. I am the Lord, your God. And it's singular. Each of us. I am the Lord, your God. These words are given to you by your God. The law is a gift of God who has redeemed you. The Ten Commandments or words are then a gracious word of God and they begin with good news about what God has done on behalf of you and me as a member of the community of faith. In other words, the Ten Words are not a declaration of what Israel must do to gain God's attention and devotion. God has already chosen Israel, beginning back with Abraham and Sarah. And God has already shown God's devotion to these people by delivering them out of slavery in Egypt. What Exodus 20 gives the people there in the wilderness is a blueprint about how they are to live in response to God's delivery and God's devotion. Not only in the wilderness, but also when they move into the promised land. Well, how about for us? What is the meaning of the ten words for us? As someone has written, perhaps tongue-in-cheek, that we think of the Ten Commandments as ten things we would really like to do, but God doesn't want us to do, so to please God, we don't. Isn't that true? When we read the commandments, don't you think, think they should be read in some kind of resounding bass voice? I wish I was John Ginther right here, but thou shalt not use the Lord's name in vain with finger wagging, or thou shalt not steal. But what we have instead are ten words that show these freshly freed slaves, what it looks like to live as God's people. Indeed, what it looks like to be truly free. The book that is the basis for the Young Children in Worship program, which is where our children go after the children's sermon, puts it this way, and I love it. They call the ten words, the ten best ways to live. What we have in these ten words for Israel is the best way for them to live now that God has delivered them from bondage in Egypt through the Exodus. What we have here for us is the best way to live now that God has delivered us from bondage to sin through God's only Son, Jesus Christ. In a sentence, what these ten words tell us is that we can live freely. Because in the God who has delivered us, we have enough. We can live freely because in the God who has delivered us, we have enough. Consider that seventh word, you shall not commit adultery. We all know that adultery is more of a symptom than a cause, but as Sam Wells has observed, the mindset of adultery is simply that one is not enough. By contrast, marriage is the great proclamation that one is plenty. That the one we have committed our lives to is always more than enough, Wells says. 
when you believe that the, that person will listen to you until you run out of things to say. When you trust that that person will wait for as long as it takes you to understand why the way you are the way you are. When you realize that that person will always impute the best of motives to your actions, however clumsy you feel inside. One person is enough. And it is through commitment to that one person that we will find ourselves most truly free in a relationship, most fully able to be vulnerable and be ourselves. Or consider the fourth best way to live. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but a seventh day is a Sabbath. To the Lord our God, you shall not do any work. What is the greatest complaint of our age? Surely is that we never have enough time to do not just what we want to do, but what we need to do. In a 24-7 global economy, somebody is always working somewhere, and so you better too, we are told. Smartphones are not enough. We need Google calendars on the cloud to keep up with all of our family activities. How many of us feel like gerbils on the wheels going round and round and getting nowhere? We can feel like slaves to our work, to our activities, to our schedules and our calendars, seemingly with no freedom to rest or get enough sleep or have much fun. But the fourth word is there to remind us that we are not our saviors or our family's saviors. God is. What we do is important, but not that important. Certainly our time at work cannot take the place of our Sabbath time at worship. Our time running around as a family cannot substitute for taking time together to be a family. And our frantic activity cannot rule out a time for rest. The Sabbath is God's gift to us so that we can be recentered, renewed, and refreshed. As Abraham Lincoln once said, if you give me six hours to chop wood, I'll spend the first hour sharpening my axe. So just try this sometime for one Sunday afternoon or perhaps even enough Sundays of a month. No work in the afternoon, no chores, no grocery shopping. Take a nap. Get outside. Get off social media just for a little while. Simply have fun as a family or with friends or simply rest and see if it doesn't sharpen the axe of your life. See if you don't feel at least a little bit more free, and if God doesn't give you enough time to do what truly matters. What connects the eighth and tenth words? You shall not steal, and you shall not covet what belongs to your neighbor. The feeling that we do not have enough enough money, or enough stuff. I mean, and it's certainly understandable if we feel that way. After all, there's a whole industry and economy out there that wants you to think, for example, that unless you wear the right body wash, the girl you have a crush on will ignore you. Or unless you have the latest technology or the latest styles, you will have an inferior life. 
We are encouraged to look at new products online or consider the balances in our retirement accounts and conclude that we're not good enough and we don't have enough. We need more. And so, we can be tempted to cut corners. We may think we need more answers and better grades, and so we may cheat a little bit. We may think we need more money, and so we justify the means to reach that goal. To be sure, we don't rob a bank or steal someone's laptop, but we may pad an expense account or take money under the table and not declare it under our taxes. Or, even more often, we can be tempted to look around at what others have and become aware of what we don't have. We covet, and we become a little more greedy and a little less generous. We grow a bit more resentful because we focus on what we don't have and therefore need to acquire in order to be happy instead of focusing on what we do have. And here's the problem, and you know it. It's not just that we become people that we don't like as much and don't want to be. It's also that we are never truly free, never truly happy. Because no matter how much we have, there's always someone out there who has something more. There's always something else we can covet. How much freer it is to live generously, to be aware of what others don't have, and to share freely, to give generously of what we do have. And so it is that God gives the Israelites in the wilderness in Sinai then, and us Christians living in modern consumer societies now, a gift. A gift in these words from Exodus, a better way to live, the key to being truly free. I have delivered you from bondage, God tells us. I may not give you everything you want, but I will give you everything you need. Manna in the wilderness, daily bread, forgiveness for your sins, a peace that passes understanding, a love that will not let you go. You see, it all goes back to the first word, those first two verses. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods. No other things that take precedence over God or displace God from the center of our lives and days. No other voice that is louder in our lives than God's voice. Here in Exodus 20, God stretches out two hands, just as he did with Moses, and gives us a gift. Ten words. God says, I have set you free. Here are some gifts to help you live free. May God write these words indeed on our hearts so that we may never forget that this God, this abundant God, is always enough. With God, one is plenty. Amen.